to Andy Staples on three. We've got quite a bit to chew on on this Thursday evening. Still got a couple post-signing day interviews for you to hear. We've got Florida State's Mike Norvell. We've got Tennessee's Josh Heupel. The Norvell one we recorded on signing day, so we didn't ask him about the big news out of Tallahassee on Thursday, but he's not really the one to talk about that anyway. That is more of a president board of trustees thing, and we're going to talk about that right now. Florida State on Thursday called an emergency board of trustees meeting for Friday. And I got a feeling there's going to be some fireworks at this thing. The last time Florida State had a board of trustees meeting to talk about its conference affiliation was August. And Florida State's trustees and athletic director Michael Alford and their president were very adamant about Florida State needing to get out of the ACC. Now, after getting left out of the college football playoff as a 13-0 SEC, uh, sorry, now after getting left out of the college football playoff as a 13-0 ACC champ, the situation is probably even more dire. And Florida State's going to do something. We don't know exactly what they're going to do. Uh, Gene Williams at War Chant, who's covered Florida State longer than anybody, better than anybody, he put forth a few possibilities. Uh, you know, you could have a lawsuit where they challenge the grant of rights. They they sue the ACC, challenge the, the grant of rights that, remember, the ACC has all of its members' media rights locked in until 2036. That's something that all the members gave to the league in 2013 because they wanted to stay together. They didn't want to get picked apart. They just lost Maryland to the Big Ten. And so they gave the league those rights. Then when the the... TV contract was extended when the ACC network was created. That whole deal got extended to 2036, which at the time seemed like a long way away. Feels even farther away now because of how much the Big Ten and the SEC have jumped the ACC in terms of revenue. But all that stuff in August was about revenue, was about money. Now there's another piece of it the perception piece of it, and also what the ACC did or didn't do down the stretch of this season to try to help Florida State not get left out of the college football playoff. So let's let's talk about the revenue piece of it anyway, because that is what they've been working on this. This is not new. This is something Florida State's been trying to, to rectify for a while now. And they've been the most vocal about it, but they're not the only ones. North Carolina, Clemson, and Miami have all been doing this too. But Florida State has been the one talking about it. And so you go back to, to August, and you had the Florida State people talking about the revenue gap between the ACC schools, which are going to make, they'll get to around $40 million a year in media rights revenue that, that gets split up between the, the schools as the, as the contract moves forward. But the SEC and the Big Ten schools are going to be in the high 70s and then higher as they go. And that's a massive gap. That is a massive, massive gap. You're talking 30 to $40 million a year more for every SEC school, every Big Ten school than all the ACC schools. And it's something that the Florida State people have felt was untenable. But then you add this on top of it, where Florida State is a 13-0 Power 5 conference champ. And that what they were sold from the ACC going back, and look, they were part of it too, was that 
they would be on equal footing with the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is now gone. It blew itself up. So that's not an issue anymore. The Big 12 is a different animal because of the teams are the schools that it's lost. So now you have what is essentially a power two. And that was concerning to Florida State from a revenue standpoint. But then you saw it come home to roost in the form of Texas and Alabama being chosen for the college football playoff despite having one loss where Florida State is left out of the 14 playoff. And I know what you're going to say. They're starting a 12-team playoff next year. Why wouldn't why would they even need to worry about it? they're going to get in? Because the new playoff contract starts before the 2026 season. There's no guarantee that the SEC and Big Ten won't bigfoot everybody else to change the rules. They have enough juice to do that now. So if you're Florida State or anybody in the Big 12, for that matter, or anybody else in the ACC, you should be worried about that. That should concern you. Like It's the best deal you can get right now, but the SEC and the Big Ten don't have to keep it as good of a deal as it is. And that's part of the problem for Florida State. So what do you do if you're the Seminoles? Do you sue and challenge the grant of rights? Do you further explore the grant of rights? They've been, they've been looking at it for, for two years. Do you just say you're leaving the ACC? That's probably an option I would not expect them to take tomorrow because they don't have to do that right now. So they, there's a deadline every August, in the middle of August, I believe it's August 15th, that if you want to exit the conference, you have to, to declare by that deadline or you're locked in for the following year. So right now, Florida State is locked in through 2024. If they would like to not be in the conference starting in 2025, they can declare that they're out. So if, if, if any time between now and August 15th, 2024, they can declare that they're out for 2025. At this point, I would expect them to do that at some point between now and August. I don't think I'd expect them to do that tomorrow. So I'll be curious to see what they choose to do and what, what they've been doing because – you know, there's been talk that they've been talking to private equity folks trying to raise money. Because remember, if you have to challenge that grant of rights, if you actually have to pay to get out, it's not just a $120 million exit fee. It is also trying to buy back your media rights, essentially, at a cost of probably over $300 million. Now, that's a number that probably gets negotiated down in the real world, but it's still a big number. And we don't know how ironclad this grant of rights would be in court. We've never seen anybody challenge one. The Big 12 had one. Big 10 has one. And we've not seen anybody say, we challenge the validity of this thing. Because there's a thought that it could completely fall apart on a challenge. But the backside of that is, if it doesn't, you're on the hook for a fortune. And that's where Florida State's at right now. But the reason Florida State is so sure of itself and and sounded that way back in August is because they're just doing the math on this thing. They're taking the deficit of where they would be if they're in the ACC through 2036 versus if they were in the Big Ten or the SEC. And they're going to be that far behind money-wise anyway. 
So if they're going to do that, they may as well spend it. They may as well put, you know, mortgage it essentially and get out. Now, I think the next question that, that people are asking is, okay, well, then where would they go? Would the SEC take them? Would the Big Ten take them? I think that's an interesting question because there's no guarantee that either one would take them. The Big Ten just added four schools. The SEC just added two. The Big Ten's at 18. The SEC's at 16. We've never seen these leagues run at that size before. We don't know if it's manageable. We don't know if they feel like they need any more. But here's what I will say about this, if you look at this, because I think the last few weeks have been very instructive on this. That SEC schedule for 2024, when it came out, you looked at that thing and you were like, damn, that's a lot of brands. That's a lot of really, really good games. That Big Ten schedule that came out a few months ago looked great until that SEC schedule came out. So the 18-team Big Ten, it's a much nicer schedule. When you throw Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA into that mix, it gets more fun. When you take away the divisions, it gets more fun. It still ain't as fun as that SEC schedule. And so if you're for the Big Ten, if you're Fox, that is essentially pulling the strings in the Big Ten. Let's be real here. And you would like to compete more with the Big Ten. Or with, excuse me, if you'd like to compete more with the SEC as the Big Ten. Wouldn't you want to sprinkle somebody like Florida State across nine different teams' schedules? That seems like it would make it much more exciting. That seems like it would make the television product considerably better. I think that's something Florida State would want. The question is, would it happen? Big Ten's never taken on a new school that isn't part of the Association of American Universities. Florida State is not. Miami is. North Carolina is. Florida State and Clemson aren't. Would the Big Ten change that? Remember, they took Nebraska. Nebraska got booted out of the AAU. They kept Nebraska. So it's not like they're, they're kicking them out. Is that something that they would consider? Is it a reorganization of priorities? North Carolina coveted by the Big Ten and the SEC both. The SEC would like to increase its footprint. The Big Ten, the prestige of North Carolina, it fits very well with the, the institutions already there and also an increase of the footprint. But the Big Ten getting into Florida, getting into the South, how much does that matter to them? How much does that matter to Fox? I feel like that would matter a lot. And I also think there's a lot of eyes on FSU here because Florida State has been the one willing to say this. They've been willing to talk about it. Like I said before, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, all doing the same thing in terms of research behind the scenes. None of them willing to, to say what Florida State has said. In fact, some of them have been pretty outwardly critical of the way Florida State has handled this. I think they should probably be a little more grateful because Florida State's doing the hard work. Florida State's being the canary in the coal mine for them because they want out just as bad. And so I do wonder, if the Big Ten decided to come south, would that cause the SEC to move? Because like I said, the 16-team SEC, you look at those schedules, they don't need to do anything different. But if the Big Ten were encroaching on their territory, would they try to get stronger, beef up a little more to make the product even better? Is that where a Clemson might be able to get into the SEC? Is that where they might say, no, no, we will take Florida State? It would be an interesting situation. 
And then what if they, what if neither one wanted them? That's the other possibility. Do you just go join the Big 12? Try to let Brett Yormark renegotiate that deal because you've now got a stronger brand? I think the question of that is, is pretty secondary because they're going to try to get into the Big Ten of the SEC if they leave the ACC. That's priority one. Let us listen to a quote from Florida State trustee Drew Weatherford. Now, Drew is a former Florida State quarterback. He is a guy who understands all of these issues very well. He's spoken very eloquently about this stuff in the past. This is from August. Listen to him in August, and now think about it through the lens of what you know happened at the beginning of December. Here's Drew. And there's going to be a school, many, many schools, you know, almost 40 to be exact, that are going to have way more resources than us. And so I do think it's an existential threat. Um, and this is just one board member speaking. Unless something drastic changes on the revenue side at the ACC, it's not a matter of if we leave. In my opinion, it's a matter of how and when we leave. You know, and not everyone may agree with that, but I feel really strongly about it because I don't want to play games. I want to go compete for championships moving forward. That's what Florida State is about. And uh, unfortunately, we're in a situation where money matters more than ever, and you cannot compete without the resources necessary. Money matters more than ever, but so does perception. So does a league that actually tries to help you. These are all things that that are very interesting now when you look at it through the lens of what happened to Florida State with the college football playoff because the ACC didn't even try to politic Florida State in. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, was speaking into whatever microphone he could find on the day of the SEC championship game because he was trying to figure out how, if Alabama wins this thing, how do I get Alabama and Georgia into the playoff? That's what he was thinking about. Jim Phillips of the ACC didn't say a boo. It didn't say peep. Didn't say boo. It's not. We're not talking about Boo Corgan, the NCAA, NC State athletic director. But did not say anything until after Florida State was excluded. And he came out with a very fiery statement that meant nothing because it was too late. So the ACC failed Florida State miserably on that front. Meanwhile, Drew Weatherford talking about. Almost 40. It's 35 schools, essentially. It's the 34 schools of the Big Ten and the SEC plus Notre Dame that that beat everybody in the ACC, everybody in the Big 12 in a perception war. And so you don't want to be perceived as in a weaker conference. And right now, if you are Mike Norvell trying to recruit for Florida State, and you're going to hear me ask him this question during our interview. How do you handle those questions? You know people are recruiting against Florida State with this. You know Auburn, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, all of those schools that Florida State recruits against on a regular basis, Florida, all of them. They're saying, well, why would you go there? Look at what happened. They won that league, and they didn't even make the 14 playoff. Why don't you go to a place where you can actually compete for national titles? That is now what Florida State must contend with on the recruiting trail. And that you can argue if you're Florida state is the ACC's fault. So they have the arguments. Now they have even more ammo than they had before. 
The question is, do they have the war chest if it comes down to they have to just buy their way out? And then if they do, is one of the leagues they want to get into going to take them? These are all questions that remain to uh, remain in the air. They have to be answered. But first, we have to know how Florida State plans to handle this. Perhaps we get the first set of answers when the Board of Trustees meets on Friday. Get your popcorn ready. You're going to hear from Florida State coach Mike Norvell in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about game time. If you want to go to the college football play, the, the, they've excluded Florida State, but they will not exclude you because you could go to the Rose Bowl and watch Alabama, Michigan, or to the Sugar Bowl and watch Texas and Washington with game time. Last-minute tickets, stress-free buying, doesn't matter. Download the game time app. Use the code STAPLES. Get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go to one of the other bowl games. Maybe you get the Cheez-It Bowl, Tennessee and Iowa. Maybe you want to take in a concert comedy show you name it they have the tickets on game time and it's so easy you type in your event you find your seat and the photo there is not a random photo it is telling you exactly where you'd be sitting in the stadium a couple more clicks that ticket is yours so easy game time is the way to buy last minute tickets or tickets to that sold out event that you were sure you couldn't get tickets to well you can get tickets through game time so download the app use the code staples $20 off your first purchase. All right, here is Mike Norvell. Again, we didn't talk about the Board of Trustees stuff. Hadn't popped up yet, but we did talk about his class and a stat that I found really interesting about the depth of this particular Florida State class. We are joined by Florida State coach Mike Norvell, and this is a very interesting day for you, Mike, because I, I, this is a stat that I saw on, on War Chant that I, I had not realized. This is the most top 200 recruits that Florida State has signed out of high school since 2016. This uh, this build you've been on, it it feels like it took a while to get to this point, but but now people have seen what you can do, and and it, it feels like they're they're wanting to jump on board. No, I mean it's been a, it's it's a great class first off, and just so excited about uh, the guys that have you know come into the program, and you know one thing to turn on film and watch you know the way that they can play, all the highlights and and the abilities. It's another thing to get to know the young men. And, uh, you know, this has truly been a class that's been four years in the making, um, you know, from coming in, you know, starting to build the relationships at a foundational level. You know, we faced some challenges with COVID and not being able to go and and really be in high schools there for the first year and a half, uh, you know, that we were here. But, uh, you know, when you sit there and you look at it, we wanted to have a great, uh, a great emphasis and uh, to be able to to really kind of make a statement with, you know, the state of Florida, you know, with, with the state of Georgia to have 17 of our 21 signees, uh, you're some of the best and the brightest you in the country out of those two states. I mean, it's uh, it's really exciting for us. And I think we've got a, a great group of playmakers that are incredible young men coming, coming here to Tallahassee. And to get these guys to, to, to believe, to, to show them the proof of concept, uh, I know you, you had to, you know, work in the transfer portal, but you've always wanted to build through the high school ranks. Does it feel like you're now getting that foundation that you want in the program? 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for us, you know, it's, it's you know, about finding the right fit. And I know I've said that for the last few years, um, but ultimately it's, it's about, you know, addressing the needs that we have. We always want to be able to start, uh, you know, there at the high school level and finding the right guys. And I think when you look at this last year, I mean, we had 25 all-conference players and uh, it's most ever in Florida State history. And, you know, right around half of them were guys that have developed through the high school ranks. And then, you know, the other, other, you know, half were guys that have come through the transfer portal. So we found a good balance and a good mix and you know now coming into this year's you know signing class these have been guys that we've identified the built relationships uh you know guys that uh, you know have, have have watched this program grow and they're, they're some of the some of the, the best at their position within the country and then they're they're coming to be a part of, of what has been built and you know obviously we're excited about where they're going to continue to help this program to go so the quarterback in this class luke Cronick, he committed to you almost two years ago so and I know you fended off a late charge from from some folks here in the last few days and weeks. How does that work when when you've had that guy saying, you know, I'm I'm here, and then all of a sudden everybody's trying to at the last minute pry him away? Well, I mean, you know, we we identified some some great you know characteristics about him early. Um, you know, he was actually committed to us before he ever started a high school game. But uh, you know, wow. sophomore year started as a started as a receiver and 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 defensive back. You know, there for his program. Uh, you know, they had a, a, you know, a really good quarterback that was there his sophomore year, and uh, you know, he was waiting for his opportunity. Now he'd come to camps. We got to see him work. Uh, but I believed in the young man. I believed in 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 all that he would you know grow to become. And uh, you know now you know as first year as a starting quarterback, won a state championship, and then just continued to develop to what, what I believe is the best quarterback in the country. Um, and just, you know, but he's, he's about all the right things. And, you know, he's been a wonderful leader for this, uh, for this, uh, you know, this uh, class that's coming together, but, uh, you know, so excited about what he's going to bring, uh, you know, to our football program, you know, on and off the field. How do you, how do you make that decision to offer I mean, when you've seen a guy in camp, but he's young, maybe he's waiting behind a really good, player at his high school and and you haven't seen him start the high school game yet is it just the traits and and having talked to him is that that what says okay we can make this offer yeah, and, and I've I've got my beliefs in what it takes to win, what it takes to be successful, and uh, you know he had, he had started games just not at that position, and he had, and he got a chance to play quite a bit, uh, you know, you know even mm-hmm. in a, in a backup role. But you know, I I true I truly knew that when he when the opportunity was his, what it would uh, what it would look like, and uh, you know he's just continued to get better, and uh, you know he's played himself into exactly what I thought he would be. And Charles Lester from Venice on the on the west coast of Florida, a long corner, big position of need, big value. I mean, everybody needs good corners, but but what what was it about him that that really attracted you? I mean, he's a game changer and, uh, you know, he's got, he's got an incredible spirit, you know, he's got unbelievable uh, athletic ability, uh, you know, just with what he can do, um, you know, his ball skills, his speed, his change of direction. Uh, you're really the mindset. He's one of the smartest, you know, football players uh, that I've recruited, you know, coming out of the high school ranks. And, you know, I think he's got a chance to be the total package. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it, that, that's been a recruitment that's been over three years, you know, of building that relationship and, uh, you know, just uh, so excited uh, about, you know, where he can go. And yes, you mentioned the position of need. I think we hit a home run in our defensive back class. Uh, we have assigned four DBs that uh, you know, have such great versatility and, and athletic ability. Uh, but really, I think that's going to be a, a special group as we're moving forward. So you, you mentioned yesterday that you're still struggling with, with what happened with the, the college football playoff and, you know, dealing with, I, I can't imagine, you know, how you, how you address the players, how you deal with that. But 
do recruits ask about that? Did you, have you had to address that with with these high school players before they signed? No, I mean, as you sit there and you watch, I mean, there's, uh, you know, for, for all the things and, you know, obviously the national spotlight that has been put on, uh, you know, you know that, I mean, our, our guys, we controlled what we could control. And it was unfortunate that we had, you know, uh, you know, a great player that went down with injury, but I think it showed the heart and the character of this team and how we responded uh, around, you know, great, great adversity. And and that's what these guys want to be, a, be a part of, you know, uh, obviously they, they have all the ability in the world and uh, you know, being able to come into a program uh, that's going to showcase, you know, their skills and talents on and off the field and an opportunity to, to go and compete for a national championship and to be able to continue to take those steps is, is something that, uh, you know, they're all excited about. And so it really didn't, uh, you know, obviously it was talked about, but it wasn't something that was, uh, was ever a point of contention. So uh, I, you talk, you've talked a lot about the culture you want to build and, and that you're looking for a certain kind of person. How good of an advertisement was it to you know, future players that you might be recruiting the way your guys rallied after Jordan got hurt, the way you played in that ACC championship game? No, I mean, it, uh, it showcased the, the, the heart and the identity of, of, of who we are. And, uh, you know, anybody can say the right things when, it, when they feel good or when things are going, uh, you know, you know, you're going well. But when you face real adversity, you know, I always tell our players and, uh, you know, tell recruits, I mean, you, you get a sense of the character by the response. You, you see the true core of what a, what a program's about. And, you know, we did what was, what was necessary. And, uh, you know, that was all. I'll forever be proud of this football team. I mean, we faced, you know, great adversity, great challenge, you know, plenty of people doubted that uh what we could what we could do and and how it could be done but uh, they just continue to answer the call and uh you know i think that's something that has you know recruits and and everybody you know around uh, watching florida state i mean excited for where we're where we're headed so you got a few more decisions that that you're still waiting on obviously you can't talk about anybody till they've actually signed but what what is it like when you get to you know into the afternoon into the early evening on signing day and there's still some some names out there, some, you know, maybe that, that weren't, weren't in your class that you think maybe you still got a shot at. Well, I mean, it's, it's usually a long day on signing day and, uh, you know, we've, um, you know, we've got a great sense of kind of where we are. Um, but uh, obviously there's always the, the, you know, sometimes, or I say always the, the unexpected, you know, sometimes works in a good way, sometimes works in a bad way. So, uh, uh, you know, you just, you be true to be true to who you are. I mean, obviously these, these gray hairs are well-earned and uh, I think <laughs> you know, when you look through, through the previous signing days, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is a celebration because, you know, the guys that are coming in are going to, going to be come in and uh, leave their mark on the program. And, you know, for the previous three years here at Florida state, uh, all those guys helped build what was a 13, you know, 13 and 0 uh, ACC championship team. And I believe the guys coming in this class are going to continue to help uh, you elevate us to a whole new level. And, and as you wait on this and try to figure how much math do you have to do in terms of what you're also doing simultaneously in the transfer portal? Cause I, I don't know that anybody's handled the transfer portal better than you guys over the last few years, but how, how do you make those decisions of, okay, Maybe we want to chase this guy or maybe we want to hold this, this scholarship back in case there's somebody we want in the portal. Yeah, it's it's always about finding that fit, and uh, you know we'll we'll continue to evaluate that. Um, you know, there might be there there might be a position or two where we can add you know experience or competition that's going to help our football team. Uh, but uh, you're never gonna never gonna sacrifice you know what we have uh, for something that 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 doesn't fit or isn't isn't a big need. Uh, you know, at, at any of those positions, and so uh, you know I think that that's one of the things we stay true to over the years, and it's it's worked at a very high level. And you know, looking forward to uh, wherever that leads us. You know, here you know going into this next season well mike thank you so much and uh and good luck at the orange bowl uh, thank you andy appreciate you and go Knowles.
All right, that is Mike Norvell with a team going to the Orange Bowl, but a school that is thinking about a lot of different things right now. Next up, Josh Heupel. He's also headed to a bowl in Florida. He's going to the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl against Iowa. He's got some extra help at practice, though. Some of the guys that he's already signed have already joined the Vols. We're going to get to him, but first I got to tell you about prize picks. Flipmas was on Wednesday. Christmas is on Monday, but it's also a Merry Pixmas. Prize picks is the most fun daily fantasy game in America. And you just download that app and they're going to give you a couple of things. First of all, use the code Andy and you will get a deposit match up to a hundred bucks. So your first deposit, you put in a hundred, they'll match you up to a hundred dollars. Then you start playing squares. Remember, in, it, you play in prize picks. You pick two or more squares. You decide how much you want to put down, and then it, it, you can multiply your money. Well, if you would like an essentially free square, that is their gift to you. There's a Kevin Durant square. If he scores one point on Christmas Day, then you're going to win that square. So if you were to pick one more square in the NBA or in the NFL, well, guess what? You win. It's just like that. It's just that easy. But NBA, NFL, college football, you name it. As the games get close, you just open the app. You say, oh, they think this receiver is going to get 100 yards receiving. Well, it's probably going to be like 99.5. And you say, I think he will get more than that. Or I think he will get less than that. It's that easy. They also have demon and goblin squares. Those demon squares, they're a little bit harder to win. But you can win up to a hundred times your money if you're willing to take that risk. Prize picks, lots of ways to play, lots of fun. And of course, Pixmas, that free Kevin Durant square. Well, essentially, he does have to score one point. Go to prize picks, use the code Andy, get that first deposit match up to a hundred bucks. All right, now it is time to talk to Tennessee coach Josh Heupel. We are joined now by Josh Heupel, Tennessee coach, and uh, you just got back in in the room here in your office. Uh, but your your SID Bill Martin came in. There was some Justin Bieber playing, and is is that part of your playlist, oh, or has someone hijacked your play playlist? My daughter might have hijacked uh, the list. She came to practice today, and and uh, her, and my wife, my dog might have been out there too. Or I should say, our dog. Um, she might have been uh, hitting some Taylor Swift music and uh, it transitioned over to Bieber. Okay, good. I just, that, that That's the Spotify algorithm. That's not your taste. I appreciate that. We've now cleared that up. Let's talk about that. Uh, well, listen, <laughs> hey, when, you, when you're when uh, you a dad of a daughter, you listen to whatever she's, uh, she's wanting to play. I got a 12-year-old, and I can assure you that is the truth. So uh, let's talk a little national signing day. You got some new Vols. But it's interesting because some of those guys have are, are there and with you, uh, like Mike Matthews and, and Boo Carter, the receivers, are, are already already practicing with you guys. Yeah, we uh, we ended up bringing in uh, 27 guys so far. Um, obviously, in, in today's landscape, uh, it's – an ever ongoing process with uh, with your roster and, and evaluations, uh, but we got ten guys that are already here for uh, for bowl practice. We'll end up with fifteen uh, high school uh, mid year enrollees. Um, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, those guys have gotten a ton of work. I think they're maybe on day four, day five already. 
uh, of being out on the grass with us. And uh, it's been great to see those guys. Um, it's, a, it's a highly skilled group. You mentioned a couple of those guys that are our elite players. Uh, those guys have already been making plays out there with us. I was to say, when, when Mike committed to you guys, it was, it was a very big deal. But what's it like now getting to see him against your current players who you, I mean, you, you know what they can do. Does it help you kind of figure out what you can do with, with those young guys as you get them into their first spring practice? Yeah, it's almost like another spring ball. Um, by the time that, that we leave here, break for Christmas break, and, and then get back uh, to Orlando, um, those guys have been in one-on-ones. Um, they've had an opportunity to, to go out there and compete with some of our guys, um, seen them make plays, and uh, you find out you know, what their physical attributes are uh, as much as anything. Uh, but you also find out some things just fundamentally uh, where you got to help them grow before we get back out there uh, in, uh, in March for spring ball. And so it's not just the the high school guys coming in because you've also got people coming in from the transfer portal as well. Uh, Holden stays the the Notre Dame tight end transfer. You, you got him. What, what what have you seen from him so far? Yeah, uh, he actually just got to to campus today. So uh, tomorrow will be our first day out on on the the field with him. Um, yeah, we're really excited about him. Uh, we're losing uh, two really good. Uh, tight ends that uh, are running out of eligibility that will be playing at the next level. Um, we have good young tight end here on, on campus and Ethan Davis, uh, but it's a room that we knew that uh, uh, we had to, um, in some ways, kind of kind of pass that roster spot. And um, you know, we're really excited uh, about him being here with us. Uh, you can see on the film against high-level competition, him out there making plays. He's got length and athleticism to be a real threat in the pass game, dynamic with the ball in his hands after the catch, uh, the ability to use his body and, and create separation and, and win some one-on-ones. Uh, but he's also got the ability to do everything uh, in the run game uh, when he's in the core uh, that helps us uh, go play the way that we need to play. So you've got the you know, guys who actually run out of eligibility. That, that still happens. Yeah. In the I, feel like that, I feel like that's just starting to happen. Yeah. How, how do you handle the math on that when you are, you're trying to fill out this roster and you're, you're talking to people in the transfer portal, you're recruiting high school guys two and three years out. How, how do you handle that math? Yeah, you got to understand that uh, you have a plan of, of, you know, where you think your roster is going to be at, some things that you need to, to do. Um, high school recruiting is still uh, uber important. Uh, you got to bring in guys that you can develop, you know, physically and fundamentally, uh, and also the culture of, of your locker room and in, in, in your program. I, I think that's still extremely important. Um, but you also know that uh, on a minute's notice, you might lose a guy. Um, and, uh, you know, based on, on who you have on your roster, you're projecting, you know, where you think guys will be at by the time you get to training camp. And if you feel like there's a, a veteran guy that fits the culture of who and what your program's about, that can also uh, bring some playmaking ability uh, or be a dominant player at the, the line of scrimmage, uh, you got to make sure that, uh, that you're covering your bases and, and making your roster as strong as it can be before you get to next fall. How have you managed to, to maintain that culture? Because, you know, you guys do seem to still be having a lot of fun. Uh, that's one thing I noticed that when I when I visited with you guys as, as players are always in the, around the offices and and wanting to hang out. How do you encourage that sort of atmosphere? And then are you looking for for guys out of high school who, who kind of fit in that? Or do you or do you want them to see that and say, OK, that's something I want to be part of? 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it's got to be the basis of, of who you are inside of, of your building. Uh, you got to have like-minded coaches. You got to create uh, a staff dynamic uh, where everybody's uh, on the same team. Uh, you got to have fun as a staff, too. That's got to uh, be a part of your interactions with your players. You, you got to be intentional in, in creating that, that culture of, you know, competing extremely hard, uh, having – you know, the uh, the core principles of what you got to be to be a Tennessee Vol, um, but you got to create that dynamic. And, and you do that, you know, through your team activities, uh, but it's also the energy that you got to have out on the practice field every single day and the, the consistency of that and, and the message that you deliver. Uh, we got a great staff here. Uh, we got great leadership inside of our locker room. Um, as you go out and you start recruiting, that can be in the portal, that can be uh, your high school recruiting. I do think it's important that uh, you understand the type of people that you're bringing in and uh, do they fit that culture. And uh, everybody's on, on a journey of becoming the man that they want to be in the player, too. Um, so you got to balance, you know, where they're at, you know, what they've been exposed to. Um, how you feel like they have an opportunity to grow and, and can, uh, you know, your, your staff and your players inside of that locker room uh, help them develop extremely quickly. Well, one thing I found interesting talking to coaches today, Josh, is that people have, have said over and over again, when you're recruiting these guys out of high school now, you have to make sure whether they want to come to your school or not, that, that the last time you talk, you end on a really good note because you may – wind up recruiting them again. You may you may have another shot, whether that's as a potential flip candidate or in the transfer portal. Is that something that, that you have to talk to your coaches about and say, hey, you know, make sure we, you know, we end things on the right note with these guys, even if they tell us no? Well, our staff is a group of individuals that uh, that care about, you know, developing young men and, and uh, are relationship driven. So that's who they are. Um, if I remind them or, or not, um, they're professional, they handle themselves the right way. Um, but I do think it's important um, because, uh, you know, there are going to be opportunities to recruit some of these guys again um, based on, uh, you know, kind of what the, the landscape of college football is right now. So. When you get off the road, Dan Lanning told us he gained nine pounds in in just basically in home visits. Is it a detox when you when you finally get home for that dead period? Man, I'm ready to go to go to sleep at some point. I feel like it's been a, a long, uh, long. Uh, I don't know what it is. Three weeks since uh, since we played last. Um, you know, flying all over the country, uh, spending up or having an opportunity to get in uh, a lot of these recruits' houses. Um, I certainly need uh, need the sleep, and and uh, I'll take a detox too at this point. Well, the college football calendar doesn't give you any breaks though, because you still have to figure out how to score on the Iowa defense. So, good yeah. good luck with that, Josh. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, yeah, the uh, Iowa defense is uh, is legit, um, but uh, we're looking forward to uh, to getting down there into uh, to Orlando and and uh, getting an opportunity to go compete. Um, you know, I was at, in Orlando for uh, a period of three years too, so. You know, former players um, got an opportunity to get uh, get together with a bunch of those guys too. Attention, four oh seven. The Vols are coming. That's right. That is Josh Heupel. The Vols facing Iowa in the Citrus Bowl. I'm not going to make the joke. You know where I went to school. Not not going to do it. Not saying it. And you know you want me to, but I am going to talk about my alma mater here in a, in a minute because it's time for Dear Andy. Your questions answered, or at least. To the best of my ability, you have some great questions this week. 
we will start with uh, with a popular topic here of the last couple of days. I think the Schadenfreude is probably the uh, the word that that you would use in this particular situation. But we will start with a video submission from Nathan about Coach Prime. Dear Andy, when Dion was hired at Colorado, he was the toast of the town, and pretty much everyone expected him to basically instantly put together one of the most talented rosters in America. But as time has gone by, he's proven to be a good poor recruiter, but a not great to maybe even downright terrible traditional recruiter. Is his recruit his traditional recruiting class this year a sign that the Dion experiment is going to start heading south? Or is it just a sign that he has a different strategy and it's going to be okay? Because honestly, it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. Tyler uh, put it a little more directly on Twitter. He said, did Colorado only sign six players? Do they know they need 11 just to make a legal formation? Well, on National Signing Day, Colorado only signed five players out of high school. And yeah, it, it looks like Dion is all in on the portal. The biggest problem I saw was the Jordan Seaton situation. Jordan Seaton very publicly committed to Colorado. He's the number one offensive tackle prospect in the country. You know, he goes on undisputed, commits to Colorado, goes on the Rich Eisen show, talks about what what he's going to do as a buff. He is still not signed. Uh, the day before signing day, he posts the the GIF, 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 whatever we're going to call it, however we pronounce it, of the, the guy sweating as he has the choice of two buttons. And all it's been since then is people just giving him unsolicited advice about what he should do, whether he should go to Colorado, he should go to Tennessee, he should go to Oregon, he should go to Maryland. Well, we don't know what Jordan Seaton's going to do, but he, we know he hadn't signed with Colorado yet. And it's it's funny because when Josh Newberg made a video right after Jordan Seaton's commitment, he was talking about Dion on the recruiting trail. And his number one thing that Dion had to do was actually sign Jordan Seaton. Josh, who is really smart, he nailed that one. He nailed that one because right now Jordan Seaton, as I record this, is unsigned. That was the one that I thought when when he committed, and he seemed very certain of that commitment, I was like, okay. I was a little worried because Dion hadn't been doing much in the high school recruiting area and his portal recruiting. I I've seen all these stories about how he's dominating the portal. I don't really get that from what we've seen. I mean, like our scouting people who rank the portal, no Louisville's dominating the portal. Ole Miss is dominating the portal. Florida state always dominates the portal, but Colorado is not really dominating it right now. And so Jordan Seaton Coming out of high school, plug and play offensive tackle. You just don't find those people. Like they don't exist in the portal. You have to recruit them out of high school. And so I thought, all right, this is a good sign. But if he's not coming, and if Dion's just going to keep trying to do this out of the portal every year, it's not going to work. And he's always talked about how it's part of the plan. There's the, that there's a grand plan to this. There's no grand plan if you can never block. And right now, they have a great quarterback in Shador Sanders and an offensive line that was not good last year and that if if they're just going to take a bunch of guys out of the portal is probably not going to be great this year, next year, the year after that, the year after that. Like you got to start building in the trenches in the high school ranks. We talked to Kirby Smart on Wednesday. It's the only way to do it. Like he's got the best Offensive defensive line classes almost every year. 
He's won the last two national titles. Not going to win this one, but guess what? They're going to compete for the next one and the next one and the next one. I don't know what Dion's doing. I really don't. Because if you're not going to get good high school players, it's not going to work long term. It, yes, the game's changing. And perhaps this was an experiment to see, all right, with all of the situations for everyone changing, can we do it this way and succeed? And the answer is, to a point, you can. But not winning big. Like, you're in a league, like Utah came with you to the Big 12. Utah recruits really good offensive and defensive linemen every year out of high school. And then they make them better. That's what you got to deal with. You know, Baylor can recruit good offensive linemen and defensive linemen where they are in Texas. So can TCU. Houston has an abundance of them living right there. This is not going to be easy if they are not going to. And it's not even a matter of, oh, Dion has to follow the rules everybody else follows or, it's, or, or you know, suddenly we, we can't respect him. No, it's not that. If there were an easier way, somebody would have figured it out by now. Like people would have been following Dion's example here. But there's not an easier way. And so I just don't know what's going to happen to them going forward if they are not going to engage in trying to get really good high school players. Because if that's not part of what they do, then ultimately they're probably going to continue to be lackluster on the lines of scrimmage, and that's going to produce lackluster records. They improved Colorado this year. I think they'll improve again. I think maybe they get them bowl eligible next year. But it doesn't go much past that if you can't start building in the trenches. And the only way right now is through the high school ranks. Maybe that changes. Maybe you can start doing that through the portal in future years. But it's not happening right now. And I just, I don't know. Given his magnetism, he seems like a natural recruiter. I would think Dion could do better recruiting guys out of high school. And I realize there's a significant NIL piece to this and that Colorado probably isn't as robust in terms of its collective as some of these schools that are signing the best players. But you got to, you got to try, you got to do better than this. It's, it's gotta be better than this. Speaking of, it's gotta be better than this. Got a couple questions here that are of a similar tone. We'll start with Logan. Dear Andy, first time emailer, question asker, long time listener. I'm a senior at UF. My dear Andy question naturally is about the Gators. Obviously, National Signing Day wasn't the result everyone in town hoped for, and the portal moves haven't exactly been aggressive either. Now we find out this morning that Jay Bateman, the linebackers coach, is leaving for Texas A&M, seemingly leading legacy top 100 signee Miles Graham and company high and dry. Bottom line, if you're Billy Napier and his army of assistants, where do you go from here? All things considered at present, do you believe the problem is Billy-centric, or do you think that it's more at an institutional level? And he said Scott Strickland, the athletic department, Florida Victorious, which is a collective. He said, thanks again. Look forward to hearing back. And now we also have one from Andrew, a little more direct. During the season, Florida's 2024 recruiting class was the answer to all criticisms of Billy Napier. The product on the field was bad, but look at those recruits. After that class faded away like the last two minutes of Infinity War, are there any signs of progress left at UF? That is my producer, River, cheering at the Marvel reference. My former co-host, Ari Wasserman, wouldn't even know what that meant. But the last two minutes of Infinity War, well, if I'm spoiling it for you too bad, it's like 10 years old. Everybody turns to dust after Thanos snaps his fingers. 
It probably is a, a an apt description of, of Florida's 2024 recruiting class, which at one point was ranked as high as number three in the on three industry rankings. But they got a lot of guys flipped here in the last few months, uh, including a few in the last few days. Uh, Xavier Philsame to Texas, Darius Hayes to Miami, Morris Williams to Auburn, Nasir Johnson to Georgia, Jamonte Waller to Auburn, Isaiah Williams to Texas A&M, Wardell Mack to Texas. They did sign G.J. Lagway, the, the cornerstone of the class, the quarterback. They also signed L.J. McCray, the number one ranked edge rusher in the country. He goes to Daytona Beach, Mainland High. But that team is not the same team that was being sold during the season as the wheels were falling off on the field. And it's number 16 as a class in our on three recruiting rankings. It's just not, it's not good. It's not what was sold. You've even got Dan Mullen trolling where uh, there was a a radio guy in South Carolina who tweeted the, the Billy Napier recruiting ranks and how similar they were to the Dan Mullen ones. And Dan Mullen responded to that saying, I wish I had the facilities they had. It was a, Pretty dynamite troll job from Dan Mullen, who got criticized a lot for how he recruited. And yeah, his successor, who came in talking a huge game about how he was going to build through the high school recruiting, was going to sign players the way Georgia and Alabama signed players. He's not doing that. And so now Florida has to hope that DJ Lagway can get this done, that LJ McRae can contribute. Because as Logan pointed out, they're not... They've not been particularly aggressive in the transfer portal. They've gotten some guys, but you know, getting a safety from Oregon who didn't really play last season because he was buried on the depth chart, like that's not encouraging. That's not exactly what you want to see. And this is this is a problem. And then add in the coaching situation, you know, they fire Sean Spencer as the line coach. They don't hire a defensive line coach before signing day. Uh, then they they lose Jay Bateman, their linebackers coach, who's now going to be the, the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. And so Logan mentioned the Miles Graham situation. Miles Graham is a linebacker for Buholtz High in Gainesville. His dad is Ernest Graham, former Florida running back. And Ernest Graham was not pleased on Thursday. Here's what he tweeted. My son was raised to understand the business as it exists, but there have been new levels of disconnect with this program that I have never, ever experienced. No calls, no communication, and the driest experience imaginable. I'm just going to start there. That's from not just a great former player, but the dad of one of your signees. Which, by the way, I do enjoy all of the comments under that tweet where fans are saying, Ernest, you don't need to be airing this in public. Like telling a guy who was a great player at Florida and the dad of a signee what how he should feel about this. I think he, he feels pretty strongly, and I think there's a lot of people who share the way he feels. Here's the thing about all of this. So much has been put on DJ Lagway. I kind of feel bad for the guy. He is a great high school player in Willis, Texas. He may be a great college quarterback. But the the problem is you can't expect him to do the saving of the program as a true freshman. Also, he's not even really supposed to start this year. Graham Mertz is supposed to start this year at quarterback for Florida. So I don't know what, what everybody's expecting because the schedule's brutal. The roster does not seem to be any better. So all of a sudden, they're supposed to be better than five and seven? Because that's the only way I can see Billy Napier keeping his job after this season. And as to Logan's question about institutional, that I I, I, I get confused because people keep asking me, well, 
they say they got to fire Scott Strickland if you're going to fire Billy. Of course you are. Like Scott Strickland knows that. Scott Strickland's floor is AD. He's well aware that he will be fired before Billy Napier is fired if they're going to go down that road. Like he knows that. They're not going to let him hire a third football coach. This situation doesn't seem to be getting any better. And this is as apathetic and just checked out as I can remember a Florida fan base being. It used to be they would get angry about stuff like this, but I don't I don't see that from them right now. I see them sort of resigned to their fate, and that's probably a worse place to be. And so there's a massive buyout. Billy Napier is going to go into the 2024 season. There will still be a massive buyout after that season, but guess what? If they have the same year they had, you're going to have to do something because everything's going to dry up after that. So it'll be a very interesting next few months in Gainesville just to see how they try to spin this, what they try. I mean, there's really no spinning it. So if you're Billy Napier, you don't even bother. Like, don't try to spin this at all. Just try to make the team better if you can and try to be better. And you, I don't know what does it. Like, is it seven and five? Is it eight and four? That seems impossible with this roster against this schedule, but you never know. You don't know how how teams coalesce. You don't know how chemistry goes. Perhaps some of those young players that he has brought in, perhaps they're better. But offensive line, defensive line remain very worrisome positions. We'll just see what happens, but it, it doesn't look very promising for Florida right now. Next one comes from Jonathan, more of a statement than a question, but I thought it was really interesting. To me, at least, it's become obvious that if a top 10 high school quarterback wants his biggest payday, it won't be at a top 10 program. We're talking about NIL stuff, and this is a a really interesting point, and I think it's true. I think you you look at Lagway, you look at the, the Dylan Riola situation, I would bet, I haven't seen the numbers, but I have talked to enough people and heard figures bandied about I would bet that Dylan Riola and DJ Lagway are probably the top two earners in the class of 2024 and it's because Nebraska and Florida have to have them Dylan Riola was committed to Georgia Georgia doesn't have to have Dylan Riola and that's the that's the one difference now you know you've heard me talk a million times about how the the pay scale with NIL and, and eventually when wh- whatever they're going to get to mimics the NFL pay scale quarterbacks at the top offensive tackles and edge rushers, defensive tackles, cornerbacks, like those are the positions of importance. But here's the thing. Here's where it's different in one way in the NFL. You must have an elite quarterback. If you want to win it all only way you can't do it without one in college football, you don't have to have one. If you have great offensive and defensive lines, if you have a couple dynamic playmakers on offense, couple lockdown DBs on defense, you can have an above-average quarterback and still win a national title. I'm not going to say an average or a bad. Like If you're looking for Stetson Bennett slander here, you're not going to get it. I thought Stetson Bennett was a really good college quarterback. But Stetson Bennett wasn't a first-round draft pick. You don't have to have that to win a national title. So I do think the program's that can build in the trenches. And you heard me just talking about Kirby Smart when I was talking about Dion. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Ryan Day. Those coaches, 
do not need to overpay for a quarterback. They do not need to stretch out their wallets. They do not need to be held ransom by a quarterback. They just don't. They can find somebody to make it work because they have people who can block and they have people on the other side of the ball where their four can beat your five. Those are the two most important things in college football. That's where the bulk of your money should go. They understand that. I, I, I think the other schools need the pop. They need to overpay. And that's why you're seeing some of this talent spread out. Because your Alabamas, your Ohio States, your Georgias, your Michigans, they don't have to do that. They know what they need. They know how to build it. And they've already got the foundation set. These ones that don't have a foundation, you need the pop. You're going to have to pay extra. And unfortunately, you get a little, uh, you know, today's price is not yesterday's price when that happens. But very astute observation from Jonathan. But not as astute as this one from Nathan, which I love. Is Michigan State the first school to have two coaches with the same or similar enough names with John L. Smith and Jonathan Smith? I can't think of another one. I, I can't. Now, granted, the names have changed over these. You ha- used to have names like Wallace Wade, or uh, you, you know, Amos Alonzo Stag. Like you're, you're never going to get another Amos Stag, I don't think. But what's interesting about this one? The name we're talking about is John Smith. If this was ever going to happen in in America, it was going to be with someone named John Smith. Because I would imagine if we were to put all of the male names in a hat, first name, last name, the most common one, the one that appears the most times, would be John Smith. So yes, John Smith was going to be the first coach with the double name. The the first time a school hired the same named coach. Although I will say, These two guys could not be more different. Jonathan Smith, who Michigan State just hired from Oregon State, is, you know, he'll get fired up on the sidelines sometimes, but he's he feels pretty stoic most of the time. He's he's not going to get too too up or too down. John L. Smith beat himself up during a halftime interview. And I don't mean said, I'm doing a bad job of coaching. He did say that too, but literally slapped himself. So Just because you have the same name doesn't mean you're the same coach or the same kind of coach. But yes, I do believe that this is the first time that happened. And if it was going to happen, of course it was going to happen with a John Smith. What a question. This is why I love you guys. Programming note, we are off Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We will be back on December 26th. Please have a Merry Christmas. Everybody, enjoy some time with your families. We love you so much. We'll be right back. When the holidays end, be ready for more bowl games, get you ready for the college football playoff. But everybody be safe if you're traveling and go hug the people you love. You're going to get to spend some time with them. Always a good time to do that. Never a bad time. And thank you so much for being with us this first six months at On3. It has been a blast and it's only going to get better. We'll talk to you after Christmas. (laughs) 